Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, you would think I'd be in a great mood today. Uh, it's the home opener for the Atlanta Braves tonight. I've got my Braves jersey on today. Uh, lucky enough to be going to the game tonight. The Masters starts today. Uh, one of my favorite sporting events. One of the single best sporting events in the entire sporting world. That gets going in Augusta. Proud moment for our state. I'm excited about that. So there's a lot going well for those of us who are sports fans here in the state of Georgia that you would assume that you couldn't slap the smile off my face today. I'd be such a great mood. And certain extent i guess i probably am but i am a little bit more bothered maybe even more bothered than i should be about something that i have read at the pages of dognation.com quoting a story from espn let me explain it this way and then eventually we're gonna get to a happy ending on this because kirby smart's got the perfect retort to all of this so uh if you go to dognation.com you can read a story from mike griffith who kind of looks at a story from espn.com as an examination takes place of what is it going to take to beat Georgia? Can anybody beat Georgia? Now, there's a certain tone to the article at ESPN.com that almost sounds like, could somebody please step up and show Georgia some competition? There seems to be a little bit of begging and wishing going on with some of this kind of stuff, which you know is enough to aggravate you maybe a little bit if you're a Georgia fan. But there is one thing in particular that sort of bothers me about what I read from Mike at DogNation.com looking at this ESPN.com story. And I'll put a link to all this when I post the show later on uh, on our uh, website ourselves at uh, DogNation.com later on today. Here's the thing that bothers me somehow some way espn always seems to find an anonymous coach who's willing to rip georgia this was true before what the uh, georgia tennessee game and uh you know before the college football playoff it just seems like that somehow you know somebody always seems to have on their rolodex some coach who's willing to under the cloak of anonymity uh give some sort of salacious quote about something not quite being right about georgia now this one i'm about to read isn't as bad as some of the things we've heard in the past but it certainly comes along a pattern of somehow even though georgia has gone what 29 and one of the last two years won the last two national championships for whatever reason that's never quite enough to impress the collection of anonymous coaches that seem to be uh ready willing and able to be quoted by espn do you notice that am i the only one who notices that does that make me crazy that i am kind of pointing that out but nonetheless let me read this to you anonymous coach espn of course heather dennett you're not surprised to find out that she's the writer in all this but nonetheless here's the anonymous coach Uh, Then the question is, can anybody beat Georgia this season? Now, here's what the anonymous coach says. Well, Alabama can. He says Missouri should have. He says the best thing that can beat Georgia is Georgia, but a fast-paced offense like Tennessee would have some type of chance. Alabama, uh, obviously Ohio State, after that, probably not a lot. But I think the best opponent Georgia uh, would have is Georgia not playing well because they are that dominant. That's Heather Dennich quoting this anonymous coach uh, there at ESPN on that. Do you mind leaving that on the screen just for a second? Because I want to kind of uh, uh, kind of get into this for a minute. Now, for the most part, this actually isn't that negative of a statement because the coach does you know kind of reiterate here that they are that dominating. But the part that kind of aggravates you is, this notion that it's obvious that Alabama can beat Georgia. Why is it obvious that a team that lost twice this past season could beat a team that went undefeated? You know, there is a degree to which I think this offseason, Alabama has been continually inflated uh despite the fact that on the field last year we saw this program actually regress and it is not obvious right now that alabama has 
a capable starting quarterback currently in its program they might I guess you'd say they probably will but it's not obvious that they do so this notion that it's just a given well of course Alabama can I mean my gosh it's Alabama well last year Alabama didn't exactly feel like Alabama anymore we may be in the midst of a change there on that but the other part of this particular quote that kind of aggravates me a little bit admittedly maybe more than it should is the coach says on the idea of who could be Georgia a fast-paced offense like Tennessee would have some type of chance and the word would there seems to be doing a lot of uh heavy lifting in that particular sentence as if this is some sort of um hypothetical situation well if you could ever get Georgia and Tennessee on the same field at the same time then maybe at that point a team like Tennessee might have a chance as if these two teams didn't just play a couple of months ago and Tennessee didn't have a chance Georgia could have beat it as bad as it wanted to but it started to rain Georgia didn't want to stick out there and get wet so it you know got out of the game with an, with an easy win but that was a non-competitive game that was not a competitive football game Tennessee could not lift a finger to provide any resistance to Georgia on either side of the ball and this idea that you want to have this uh hypothetical situation well listen Tennessee's offense so fast you know fast paced maybe they might be able uh to do this well we saw that happen and we also saw these two teams play same coaches uh going back in Knoxville in 2021 that game was even more of a blowout so you know let's not assume that the venue is going to change the result when these two teams play this season there as well but nonetheless that's the anonymous coach a little skeptical about Georgia and part of me wants to know and you can bring that down now part of me wants to know when ESPN does this, is it always the same anonymous coach? Because that's the one thing that you never quite understand. Is it a different anonymous coach that's ripping Georgia every time? Is it the same anonymous coach each and every time? We're never quite so sure about that. But in this same sort of ESPN.com, there was a coach willing to go on the record about Georgia, willing to be quoted on, on the record about UGA. Uh, Mike Griffith had this in his story at dognation.com, originally, uh, or originating, I guess I should say, from the ESPN piece. Brian Kelly talked about this. And most of what Kelly says here, you can't really have too much you know, to, to kind of squabble over. But nonetheless, I want to read this to you. Brian Kelly on what it would take to beat Georgia. Uh, Kelly's saying, we scored enough points, but we couldn't match up physically yet he says he, but then he goes on to say you look at the other teams obviously ohio state had enough of that to take them right down to the wire that's brian kelly once again quoted by espn.com on the idea of georgia and there's nothing you can say too much here to kind of specifically be angry with brian kelly about that's a factually accurate statement for the most part uh you know maybe a little bit wishful to think that one day they will be able to physically compete with the uga but nonetheless you can't sort of you know have too much of an issue with that but i, I do kind of find myself once again kind of amazed at the narrative around the Georgia-Ohio State game from New Year's Eve and this notion that Ohio State somehow proved more in that game than Georgia did. And to me, this is where, you know, put my fan hat on for a minute, this is where I do genuinely believe that Georgia just kind of gets treated unfairly a little bit because I think what the way this game has been kind of discussed and spun after the fact is that oh Ohio State's offense proved that if you've got that great offense you can uh then you can you know find some vulnerability with the Georgia defense and somehow the, the game was a negative about the Georgia defense and that becomes the more significant issue from the game whereas y'all what did we hear for years prior to this game for years what we heard prior to this game was oh the Georgia offense can't keep pace in a shootout. If Georgia ever gets into a situation where it's a shootout, they can't keep pace. So to most of us who are Georgia fans, the Peach Bowl against Ohio State was proof that, hey, in a game in which you do get into a slugfest, in a game in which 
points are required in a game in which you're going to have upwards of what 90 points scored in the game then Georgia can be just fine in that game too. That Georgia has a preferred way to beat you, but if you force Georgia to play a different way, the Peach Bowl proves that Georgia's capable of doing that too. That's the narrative that most of us who are Georgia fans would say about all of this, but it sort of seems like the rest of the folks, and I think a lot of this is just sort of wishful thinking and hoping that college football won't be boring this year. The team that's won 29 of its last 30 games runs right through the sport again, winning another 15. It seems like we kind of have a little bit of a narrative shift here of, Instead of saying, can the Georgia offense get it done, now it's one of those things of, oh, look at Georgia's defense. It didn't get it done. That could spell trouble for this upcoming season. It's all wishful thinking, but nonetheless, if you're a Georgia fan, I think you're justified in being a little bit aggravated by all of this. But here's the good news. Whether you know it need be or not, um, Kirby Smart, I think, provides a great response to all of this because you've got an anonymous coach here saying, what's it going to take to beat Georgia? You've got Brian Kelly trying to address that there as well. And by the way, interesting to know that Kelly would even be quoted in a story like this. Do you think that Kirby Smart would ever be quoted in an ESPN story talking about some other coach, some other team? Heck no. Heck no. You know, there was this thing uh, years ago where Jack Nicholson, the great movie star, not the golfer Jack Nicholas, but the great movie star Jack Nicholson, he wouldn't appear on television, wouldn't be a guest in the Johnny Carson show or anything like that. Things were popular at the time. His belief is that movie stars, big screen stars, didn't belong on small screens. And I think there's a little bit of that with Kirby Smart. Whereas if you're the big coach, if you're the if you're the bull of the woods, if you're the leader in your profession, you don't become a source in a story about somebody else. That's what that's what a big screen star would do. You don't go to the small screen. And Kirby Smart, I think, is kind of like that, where he's not going to be a source for a story about somebody else. Brian Kelly, interesting that he would be. I think that diminishes him by doing that. But nonetheless, but nonetheless. So Kirby Smart, I think, has a great response to all of this about exactly why it was that Georgia was able to go 15-0 last season and why Georgia is going to be expected by many to go 15-0 again this season, too. And it comes from something we told, told you about the other day. So Kirby Smart makes an appearance on the uh, the Coach K podcast, which I wasn't even aware of. I guess that's why you have stuff like this. Now I'm aware that Coach K has a podcast. And you talk about two contrasting personalities, right? I mean, you know, Coach K is very professorial. He's very, I don't know, uh, I guess he would consider himself to be distinguished, you know, a little bit stuffy, you know, kind of, you know, self-serious. You know, Kirby Smart is just sort of a dude, right? You know, he's, he's a football coach. A very, very different type of personalities here. And so uh, Coach K is congratulating Kirby Smart for winning sec- his second straight national championship. And Kirby Smart gets into why it is that Georgia has won all these games in a row. And what you're going to notice here is, is how shocked I think that Coach K is by what Kirby Smart has to say. This is a level of intensity that Coach K as a basketball coach in the erudite ACC is not quite used to here. So listen to Coach K's shocked reaction to what Kirby Smart says, and then use this as a rebuke against anonymous coach or Brian Kelly or Brian Day or whoever else it is to think they may have a chance to get uh, a little bit of revenge on Georgia this year. The coach that speaks this way, does it sound like this guy wants to give up the top spot in college football anytime soon? Here is Kirby Smart with Coach K. You know, winning the national championship is is amazing, but uh, uh, the record that you guys have had in your conference, your seniors, to go 49-5 and five in a four-year period – nationally but also in your conference what does that say about your your culture the culture that Man. you've created 
in this league of football where so many kids are drafted and every game is so tough, um, it speaks volumes for the leadership of those kids. That senior group, they wouldn't um, they wouldn't sacrifice uh, what they believe in, how they practiced, the work ethic in the off season. It, it, it was a special group of leaders now because they went into every game not thinking about the score, not thinking about winning. <laughs> they wanted to make the other team quit, uh, and they played wow. angry and mad. And, and I really, I really love the way they practice. I mean, they would practice harder against each other sometimes than maybe they had to play in, in certain games. And uh, I loved it. I loved to practice that element of that. Don't you love Coach K, the famous Duke coach, former Duke coach, his response to Kirby Smart? And Kirby's just being himself. He's just talking the way that he always does. Hey, our guys want to make the other team quit. And Coach K's like, well, I, I do declare. <laughs> like he's dropping his monocle in his soup uh, upon hearing Kirby Smart speak in such, you know, bold, clear, unmis- unmistakable language. But the fact that this is how Georgia plays, that Georgia is not just physical, they're tenacious. That, that Georgia isn't just committed to winning, they find losing intolerable. And they don't don't want to just beat you they want to humiliate you to the point that you want to quit you want to give up the game that's Jalen Carter toting Jaden Daniels around the football field while holding up one finger in the air that's making you want to quit you think the LSU players wanted to stay on the football field after that no they could have hightailed it back to Baton Rouge that is exactly what they'd like to have done the TCU team after the you know the glitz and glamour of LA wore off how how soon do you think they were ready to get back to Fort Worth on the heels or in the midst of getting beat 65 to 7 that Georgia has a habit of making the other team want to quit and that's the same mindset that Georgia brings with it I think to the 2023 season that's at least what they're trying to cultivate right now this is why spring practice matters Georgia's got what 20 whatever 21 uh, early enrollees in the program they're learning how to be a part of a program that plays not just to win but plays to make the other team want to quit they look past the goal of winning to something far deeper and far worse than that for the opponent so this idea, oh, well, Josh Heupel and his fast-paced offense, they might be able to keep it close with Georgia. Good luck with that. This idea that Ryan Day found some sort of way to uh, you know, keep it close with the UGA, but it was all said and done, it was Georgia who stood uh, victorious. Michigan, who's won the, eight, uh, the, the Big Ten two years in a row. What happened in the Orange Bowl a couple years ago when they played? This Alabama team that supposedly still has it all figured out. They weren't even good enough to qualify to play Georgia a year ago, but the time before that, they wilted in the fourth quarter as Georgia marched towards a national championship. That's the level of focus that Georgia has right now so Brian Kelly can talk about wanting to beat Georgia anonymous coaches can hide behind you know anonymity and talk about how you want to beat Georgia but Kirby Smart is keeping on talking about how to make Georgia what it is it may be shocking to guys like Coach K who are not used to hearing guys in their sport speak that way but that's just how Kirby Smart views life it's that competitive edge that has made Georgia what it is and would make Georgia not really all that willing to relinquish its grip on college football anytime soon My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Merriweather and Tharp, and happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, we get going here at uh, 945 for our first in 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, uh, on all video platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, on Athens Sports Radio 960 Rep, and available as a podcast, wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify, the google podcast player we post the show at the worldfamousdognation.com you can listen right there on soundcloud if you want to lots of ways to hear our show just glad you find it somehow some way got my braves jersey on today 
Uh, looking forward to the uh, home opener tonight for the Braves against the San Diego Padres. And our friends at Merriweather and Thorpe, they're big Braves fans too. I've seen, I've actually seen Bobby's wife Ashley at Braves games before. They love hanging out and doing all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, they love all kinds of fun things. Obviously, big supporters of UGA and you know, big dog fans traveling to all these games all the time. And yet they also understand that sometimes life isn't like that. The fun stuff, Braves games, dog, you know, football games. Uh, sometimes life is about dealing with a serious issue. And for you, there may be no se- more serious issue than the notion of divorce. You may have tried to prevent it. You may have tried to pretend that it's not real and that it doesn't exist. But now you find confronting this uh, reality, something that is unavoidable. You just have to do it now. And if that's the situation you find yourself in, then I want you to have my friends at Meriwether and Tharp as an advocate who goes along with you on this journey. Because, listen, some of this is about explaining the law. They're really good at doing that. Some of this is about identifying all of the available options. And that's one of those things that Meriwether and Tharp's really good, too. But some of this is also just sort of rolling up your sleeves and fighting for what you deserve in a situation like that. And once again, if that's what it requires, Meriwether and Tharp is going to be there for you on that, too. And they can also kind of set, I think, good goals for you about... What it all comes down to is if you're in a situation where you have to get divorced and it's just something that can't be avoided, then you're looking to that next season of your life of, okay, financially speaking and relationally speaking and everything else, how can I be in a position to have more success, more happiness in my next season of life than I currently have right now? That's ultimately the question that stands over all of these divorce decisions, and Meriwether and Tharp can handle and help you out with all that too. So I want you to find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce, and great to have them each and every Thursday as a part of uh, Dog Nation Daily. Also great to have Terrence Edwards. We'll talk to him coming up in just a couple of minutes there as well. Prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse. And I'm going to make a little bit of a simple point here just for a moment uh, on what I think with the Georgia quarterback competition based on something that both Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift had to say here this week. I want to start with Carson Beck because the question came up of, you know, what are you noticing? And Carson's now going into his fourth year at UGA. So he spent a lot of time around Todd Munkin, and now he sees the transition to Mike Bobo. What are you noticing from new offensive coordinator Mike Bobo? Carson Beck gave us a little bit of insight when he spoke to the media earlier this week. Here is Carson on that topic. I mean, obviously, they're very separate people. You know, every I think every offensive coordinator is very different and brings their own, um, you know, spark and you know, calls different plays, calls different things, does things different. Um, you know, Bobo's very energetic, you know, love the way that he's been coaching recently, and I'm excited to keep working with him. Yeah, so that's Carson Beck sharing some insight there on that about exactly what Mike Bobo kind of brings to the table, some differences, but we've also been told that some of the continuity is remaining the same, you know, the language that's been used, verbiage, things like that. But it was actually Brock Vandegrip who I thought had a little bit more candid description of what his early relationship has been like with Mike Bobo as the offensive coordinator. And this is what I think leads us to sort of an interesting conversation here today. Here's Brock Vandergriff kind of giving you a little bit of a, a pretty candid description of what he, one of his first conversations with Mike Bobo was like. Here's Brock Vandergriff on the topic of Mike Bobo, too. Coach Bobo, he's uh, he's pretty intense. On the first day he came in the quarterback room, he said, I'm going to I'm gonna coach y'all hard, and I, I, hope y'all, I hope y'all are open to that. And uh, heck, he didn't really give us a choice. He said, I'm going to coach y'all hard, and that's the way it's going to go. And we all said, yes, sir. And uh, I, I think it's been really good just the way he's been coaching us. Uh, he has a reason for everything he does. Uh, his meetings go well. And um, yes, sir. So let me tell you why I think that's interesting. I'm going to be a wet blanket just for a moment. Um, it is at least possible that Georgia doesn't have a good quarterback. 
Now you think, well, how could that be? Well, like it's just sort of mathematically possible that even a competition like this, the guy who emerges ends up not being nearly as good as a quarterback who just won two straight national championships. You have to at least consider that as a possibility here. But what I think makes that very unlikely is what Brock Vandergriff is saying there. The coach Bobo told us from day one, I'm going to coach you hard. Now, let me, let me tell you what I kind of read into that. And admittedly, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe I'm sort of seeing between the lines uh, deeper than I probably should. But think about your own kind of sporting experience, whatever that was, as a coach, as a player, whatever else. If Mike Bobo steps in on day one with the confidence to say, I'm going to coach you hard. Let me tell you what I believe that says about Mike Bobo. Experienced coach, been around the block many, many times. If Mike Bobo on day one is delivering that message, I'm going to coach you hard. I think that means, he thinks, Bobo in this case, that Beck Vandegrift can handle it. In other words, I don't think that Bobo had any fear about treating their quarterbacks carefully because he viewed them as fragile. And in some situations, you do have somewhat fragile quarterbacks. I don't mean injury prone. I mean the idea of can I be the guy? Can I be a quarterback at a place like Georgia? Can I lead Georgia to the kind of success that is expected at a place like this? Fragile ego, fragile physical frame, fragile whatever else. Mike Bobo, I'm reading into this to say he doesn't view either Beck or Vandegrift as fragile quarterbacks. He's okay pushing them. He's okay challenging them. He's okay coaching them hard because he believes they can take it. And y'all, that is not true in every situation. I'm going to give you an example here. Go back to 2020 at Georgia when you had a competition that involved you know, a guy like Jamie Newman and involved a guy like, uh, to a certain extent, I guess, JT Daniels, although JT was, I guess, hurt. Uh, you know, Stetsman obviously eventually emerged there on that. Had Juan Mathis involved there as well. At the beginning of that 2020 season, unfortunately, Georgia just did not have an SEC-ready starting quarterback playing for them. And I'm not picking on Dwan Mathis. I think that Dwan Mathis is a fine young man. Uh, I think that he's an inspiring story in a lot of ways. God loves that young man. But he is not an SEC-level quarterback. And Georgia found itself in a real issue uh, at the beginning of that 2020 season because of that. And some of what you heard about Dwan prior to that was, always oh, doing so great. Oh, Dwan Mathis is really impressive during practice and this and that and that. And to me, admittedly, maybe more cynical than I should be, at times I was like, gosh, they must be really trying to build this guy up from a competence standpoint. He must really need it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be saying all these things and letting all this positive stuff leak out. Normally, Georgia plays defense against that kind of thing happening. But the fact that they were kind of pumping him up a little bit made me believe, gosh, they must really feel like Dwan Mathis needs an extra dose of confidence. And ultimately, you kind of saw maybe why that was. Well, in this particular case, it's a completely different situation. You've got a guy in Brock Vander that hasn't played before. You've got a guy in Carson Beck that hasn't played very much but according to Brock Vandegrift Mike Bobo steps up to begin with to start spring practice and says hey I'm going to coach you hard I'm going to push you to be the very best you can be I'm not going to hold your hand and walk with you towards eventually being the starting quarterback because I think you can handle the hard stuff here and to me that sort of speaks to the idea that whether it be Carson Beck or whether it be Brock Vandegrift that Mike Bobo has the confidence to believe that the eventual winner in this quarterback competition is going to be tough is going to be capable of handling what's coming his way in the SEC and capable of withstanding the kind of hard coaching that will ultimately make him a better quarterback. I think that's a really interesting statement from uh, Vandegrift in describing how Bobo spoke to them, and I think it probably speaks pretty well of what Bobo ultimately believes is the potential of both of these quarterbacks. That is Around the Doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Fun stuff continuing here at UGA Spring Practice. Terrence Edwards gave us some great stuff last week. Let's find out what he has on his mind this week there as well. 
as we talk to him. Glad to have him and all of you with us here as a part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So let me bring Terrence Edwards in on this. And uh, Terrence, let me see if uh, you know, your kind of thought on this, that Brock Vanderriff said this week that Mike Bobo told them that he was going to coach them hard. And to me, that sort of speaks to a level of confidence that Bobo must have in these quarterbacks because if you're worried about your guy, your eventual starter, not being able to handle that or maybe he needs confidence because he's just you know he's just worried about filling big shoes quarterback at a place like Georgia then maybe you go a little lighter maybe go a little softer but the fact that uh, Vandergriff said that Bobo said he was going to coach him hard believes at least leads me to believe that Bobo must kind of like uh, and trust what he has in this quarterback uh, situation and let the competition sort of play out however it does what does that tell you about what Bobo must think about these quarterbacks I just think it's going to put them in, in position to uh, see can they take harsh criticism See, can they take harsh coaching? Uh, because we need that that quarterback. We need to, for him to have tough skin because that position gets more praise uh, than it deserves sometimes, and sometimes it gets more of the blame than it deserves sometimes. So I think that the staff is always trying to put the team in situations that it's going to come up at some point. Um, I mean, just look at Stetson. I mean, he, he, he won a national championship for us last year. People still wanted him gone, and he ended up winning another one. So you got to be able to block out the the noise and and take the message, and not the way the message is being uh, conveyed to you. So I just think, and when I was there, I, I saw Coach Bobo coaching him hard, getting on him hard, and it's going to help him in the long run. I said this yesterday. I'm curious if you would agree with this that. To me, the G-Day format, which we'll all see on April 15th, sort of sets up a little bit more for a guy like Carson Beck, whereas I think that Brock Vandegrift might actually excel in a live football situation where you can be tackled to the ground and Vandegrift's ability to avoid that, keep a play alive. Maybe he takes off and runs. Maybe he just buys time to make a throw. That's a little bit more like you know the best opportunity for Brock Vandegrift. So for me, you know, I guess to sort of put this simply, I think there's a little bit more pressure on Carson Beck on GD than there is Brock Vandegrift because the GD format sort of feels like it's the right one for Beck. You stand there, you pick apart a defense, you make big throws. I'm assuming that Georgia will throw it a lot on GD. It typically does. That to me, there's a little more pressure on Beck to perform well on GD than there is on Vandegrift. Is that something you would agree with? I think so, but I look at it a little different than you. I think the pressure is going to come from. Um, now Carson knows it's, it's his job to lose, um, and I think he, if he doesn't perform well, I think he will, in this day and age, he will hear the outside noise. He will, he will hear, especially if Brock performs well. Now we, we ourselves, this show and all other shows are going to be to talk about did Brock uh, win the job. So there's going to be just be a lot of outside noise being talked about, and I think a lot of us don't have all the information, all the data, that the, the coaching staff will have. And and I think Carson just got to realize, and the fans got to realize, one spring game is not going to determine who's to start. It's it just it's, it's months and months of data that the coaching staff will have compiled, and they're going to put the best player on the field. But it's just the pressure of, can I take this team to the next level? Can I be the steady quarterback uh, I could be? Uh, I don't have to be Stetson, and I don't think – people are going to think he's Stetson, but just the pressure of, of, you know, let's just put it, I think Stetson is 
one of the greatest players in Georgia history, what he's doing now, he has to follow those footsteps and try to keep us in the pantheon of, of the college football greats right now. Well, when you got a chance to see practice, anything that you noticed about these quarterbacks that you would have found interesting, any, anything from like visually seeing them in a practice situation that stood out to you? Uh, I think Carson is a little bit more athletic than we're going to give him, and Brock is uh, probably more athletic. I, I have watched Brock. Uh, I did watch Brock play in high school, and he moved around. But I watched him move around um, and practice, and he can run. He he can, he can run. So I just think that the statue quarterback uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs is probably never going to be back, a guy that can't move the chains with his legs. And we've got to give Carson a little bit more credit for his athleticism as well. So when you were at Pace, y'all played Prince, right? No, we was at Pace. We played uh, Ravens. So I got to play South Sea Gunner. That's right. That's right. But but you said you saw Brock in high school, though. Um, it, you know, I think one of the things that, like, nationally has been misunderstood about Vandergriff because, you know, he is athletic. But, you know, at Prince Avenue, this was still a pass-first quarterback. This was not a guy that was looking to run, you know, primarily or, or, or you, know, you know, before he looked to throw the ball. I mean, I think in some respects, nationally, people outside kind of the, the, the bubble of dog nation have kind of miscast Vandergriff as more of a running quarterback than he actually is because the guy that I saw in high school, even though he was athletic, this was still a pass-first quarterback. Oh, most definitely. He's definitely passed first. But if he has to use his legs to yeah. get out of any tough situation, he's able to on his own read. Can he pull it and make a big play for us like Stetson did? Most definitely. But I, I agree with you totally that he's definitely a pass first guy. He's a guy that's not looking to run the football. Uh, but he can if need be. I want to change the subject here for a moment. There's a lot of the uh, UGA newcomers who seem like they've had you know a little bit of buzz around them this spring. Maybe the most significant is loss and lucky, where it's like a lot of whispers and a lot of you know, hey, I heard this guy's doing really well. Uh, I had a chance to see Lawson play you know this past season for Norcross. He looked good in the game that I saw him in. But it seems like man, he's really earned a lot of buzz thus far this spring. What do you make of a guy like this tight end position that Georgia's historically been you know pretty good at the last few years? What do you make of a guy like Lawson stepping in and kind of generating a lot of conversation right now? Oh, it doesn't surprise me. If, if uh, everyone listening, and I've been saying this before he even stepped on campus, that Lawson is going to be the best route runner in the tight end position as soon as he stepped on campus. And I, and I just think, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of Georgia fans, when we first got his commitment, they was looking at uh, he was only a three-star, and we don't know, we don't know. Lawson is 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 that guy. I think Lawson is going to step right in when uh, Brock leaves to be one of the better tight ends in this in this uh in this class. Um I, I don't want to to minimize Oscar because I think we got four fantastic tight ends we haven't got opportunity to see Piercy and skill set, but I just think the tradition of, of tight end is is going to continue. And when I was there, I did get the opportunity to watch Oscar. Oscar is definitely put on uh, a lot of weight. He's definitely bigger. So I, I'm just in that tight end room right now. Overall talent is up there with any positional group that we have. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think the way you say that about Delp is is correct. Whereas the sense that I'm getting is is whatever is being said about uh, Lawson right now is not coming at the expense of Delp. I don't believe Kirby Smart the other day talked about 
the fact that Delps really improved as a blocker, that's going to matter this year. Obviously, Darnell Washington isn't here anymore. Jake Fromm the other day had some really nice things to say about Oscar Delp when he was on the show there as well. So the seeming emergence of loss and lucky, if that's what you want to call it, does not seem like it's coming at the expense necessarily of Oscar Dell, but just seems like once again, George, which had a million great tight ends a year ago, maybe in that same situation here again this year. Oh, most definitely. I think that tight end room is just as deep. I, I just still believe that uh, Darnell is just a unicorn um, that you don't see uh, year in and year out. But the tight end room is in good hands. Even when Brock leaves a generational talent, the tight end room will be just fine with the three that we have and Landon Thomas coming next year. Yeah. Uh, that, that that position is continue to uh, outshine the others. Uh, there are some good tight ends in the 24 class that's high on Georgia. So the tight end room is, is going to be okay. But Lawson is definitely a guy that I've continued to – uh, talk about, continue to rave about, um, because he he deserves that. I mean, he is he's going to make plays for us this year. He's going to get opportunity to make plays. He's going to get opportunity to play as long as he's continuing to grow in the playbook and get the trust of the coaches. He's going to have an opportunity to uh, showcase his skills, and I can't wait to watch him on G Day. No, I think that's exactly right. Let me ask you about one more newcomer here for a moment uh, because there's something else I want to touch on before we uh, let you go today. How big of a deal is it for a guy like Roderick Robinson at running back? Now, listen, you never want people to be hurt, but Georgia's had Kendall Milton dealing with an injury. It's had uh, Dejon Edwards dealing with, I guess, a similar injury, also a hamstring situation. It seems like in last Saturday's scrimmage, that created a big opportunity for Branson Robinson, who we've already kind of seen. A lot of Georgia fans like what they see there. Now, Roderick Robinson probably getting an expanded role on G-Day because of this. How big of a deal is it for him to be getting all these extra carries here this spring while the veteran uh, running backs are on the mend? Well, I, I take a little bit step farther. I'm not worried about his running ability and carrying the football. Uh, you know, he's been doing that his whole life. What he's getting now is this extra reps and the extra coaching from Coach McGill on pass protection. Yeah. Uh, if you can't pass protect, then you won't be able to play in, in three-down situations. So I just think he's getting the extra coaching because he's getting the extra reps on pass protection. And for what we believe, the G-Day will get an opportunity to see the ball being thrown a lot. He's going to be able to have to pass protect if those other guys, those more veteran guys, won't play in G-Day or be very limited in G-Day. He's going to get an expanded role, and he's going to be – able have to be able to pass protect i think uh kendall milton w- was a great pass protector if you saw not kendall uh, uh mcintosh if you saw his a uh, senior bowl highlights with his pass protection i i think they call him he was the best pass protection back with at the senior bowl Interesting. so coach mcgee does a very good job of getting those guys ready and uh if branson robinson can pass protect he he will get a lot of carries um, and I saw the young man. He is a big, big young man. Yeah. Man, he is big. I, um, they don't make him like him. And, he, and I can't wait to see how he uh, progressed. I can't wait to see him be able to uh, showcase his talent against the uh, college-level athletes. Who do you think, to? I guess to do the running back thing one more time here, you know, Georgia has had Sonny Michelle, and it was James Cook, and it was Kenny McIntosh. There's always that versatile pass catcher in the running back room for Del McGee and Kirby Smart here. Do you see that guy on this roster right now? Someone's going to have to do more of that than they've done in the past. Who do you think has the best chance of becoming the guy that catches the ball out of the backfield for this Georgia running back group? 
Uh, right now with the experience, I have to go with Dejon Edwards, okay. the guy, because uh, we I've seen him being able to catch the football. Is he Sony? Is he McIntosh? Is he Swift being able to uh, catch the ball out out the backfield? I, I don't think so. I don't think we have a guy on the roster that's in that category right now. Uh, so we're going to be able to, to uh, manipulate explosive plays out of the passing game from the tailback from probably different ways because we don't have that guy on the roster right now. But I do like what I've seen. Uh, Dejan, I think, probably may be the best pass catcher right now because we've seen him play. I haven't seen the other guys really uh, play and catch the football out the backfield. So just with the experience, I'm going to have to go with Dejan Edwards. So let me finish with this. I was looking at some mod drafts today, and it seems like there's a consensus kind of forming. Now, who knows if it ends up being true, but I think Todd McShay, Bucky Brooks, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network, all have three dogs in the first round. Obviously, Broderick Jones, Jalen Carter, and Nolan Smith is now really kind of perennial viewed to be a first-round pick. That means the guys like Darnell Washington and Keeley Ringo going in the second round. I guess the consensus there is kind of early second, but nonetheless, you know, day two pick uh, for both those guys. Of Keeley and Darnell, Terrence, who do you think has the more likely chance of kind of sneaking into the first round and at least giving Georgia that shot at four first-round picks? Is it a Keeley or is it a Darnell in your mind? I got to go with Keeley. Only the reason because the NFL is a a passing league, and if you – can rush the passer or stop the passer. As a defensive back, you know, they put more uh, emphasis on those positions. So if I have to just pick one and everybody know how much I love Darnell, I'm going to have to go with Keeley because of the receivers and the, the, the passing game that NFL presents that, you know, he's a guy that's got elite traits, uh, big, tall, fast. And I think if he gets into a right system, he will be able to have a longer career. I, I just think if uh, he gets into a system like uh, Seattle Seahawks when they was a, a predominant cover three team with Richard Sherman and that type, I think he would excel. If you go, if he goes to a team that is a predominant man press team, I don't think that would be the best situation for him. I think he could go into a situation that teams that is a predominant zone team um, with his his skill set. I think he will flourish in that type of system, so I'm going to go with Keeley. Terrence, that's great stuff. We always appreciate your insight here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Of course, you're doing great work as well, getting folks ready for their upcoming seasons, pass catchers, tight ends, wide receivers especially. So if folks want to be part of that Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy and be a part of some of the great work that you're doing, uh, getting folks trained up, how can they get in touch with you? Well, you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I love Terrence's answer, you know, in that comparison between Keely Ringo and Darnell Washington. And I guess I guess I might, you know, say Keely on that too, just because that cornerback spot, that defensive back spot is one that, you know, teams do kind of go uh, there's a little bit of usually a little bit of a run on those cornerbacks in the first round of the NFL draft at some point in time. And so, you know, maybe Keeley kind of gets caught up in that a little bit. I think your hope for Darnell is is that, you know, after a pretty impressive scouting combine performance, that somebody somewhere just sort of fell in love with him. They're like, you know, this is, you know, this is that that special unicorn of an athlete that only comes around every so often. We're going to make sure we take full advantage of that. So, 
if you take the mock seriously, you know, respected guys, Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, McShay, they got the three dogs in there right now. The good news is is those three are in every mock draft. And the great news for Nolan Smith is, is you know, he's gone from a guy that I think early mock drafts may have had back into the front round, somewhere late twenties, maybe even thirtieth, thirty first overall, to all of a sudden now you commonly see, you know, uh Nolan being talked about as a top ten type pick. And you really, you know, you see Broderick Jones inside the top fifteen almost every single one of these deals. So, you know, it may be three first round picks for Georgia if the mock drafts prove true, but it'd be three guys taken in the top fifteen, maybe, which would be quite a statement for Georgia there as well. So we'll keep our eye on that. Obviously we have a big draft party coming up on the final night of our Dog Nation cruise that I'm looking forward to. So much fun last year. Gonna be a great time here this year as well. And speaking of that, how about we go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean because we are getting very close to that Dog Nation cruise. And I just love the experience. You know, you go day before, you kind of get settled in your hotel. Some folks stay in Orlando. Some folks like to, you know, kind of be right there in Port Canaveral, Cocoa Beach area, you get that hotel room and you kind of watch the, the port and the ships that are leaving the day before coming in and going out and you get a chance to see all that and it's sometimes like a pregame party before the actual event itself and on that monday april 24th right there in port canaveral we're all going to get on board get it going get it started and have an amazing series of events taking advantage of all the great experiences available to you on independence of the seas world-class entertainment unbelievable dining options specialty restaurants all kinds of bars and lounges literally everywhere you turn live music all over the place it's just a a wonderful entertainment experience and then in addition to that a great collection of special events just for those in the dog nation cruise there too so for so many of you who are going to be a part of it with us we're glad you're there and for those of you who want your own royal caribbean cruise vacation experience our good friend jessica slater can help you with that you can give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 let jessica help you out with uh, all of your needs for a royal caribbean cruise vacation if you want to check out a special website that she made just for dog nation folks you can go to royaldogs.com and find that connection with her there as well royaldogs.com for a lot more on that all right let's go cruise around the sec here and i want to start with what might be some good news for south carolina as uh, gamecocks had a chance to host uh, somebody here this week pretty interesting uh prospect you know i shouldn't even say prospect a little bit more of a sure thing Derek mcclendon was a defensive lineman at florida state played a ton started for the uh, seminoles on the field a lot graduate transfer looking to leave florida state and mcclendon because he is a graduate transfer is able to take those visits and be a part of the the transfer process right now whereas uh non-graduates have to wait until the portal opens up again to begin the month of may but uh, mcclendon is on the open market right now and visited south carolina here this week so for south carolina who i think you would probably say was one of the losers in terms of who it lost from the transfer portal back in the winter all of a sudden maybe has a chance to be a to be a, a winner here because if you're talking about a defensive lineman who is good enough to play on a good Florida State team and get that experience, that's the kind of thing that would have a chance of translating here to the SEC. And for South Carolina, that actually finished last year's regular season with a lot of momentum, you know, beating Tennessee, beating Clemson. Clemson went on to win the ACC, and yet uh, uh, South Carolina still got that win against them. Obviously, there's something to build on for South Carolina this year with uh, you know Spencer Rattler coming back at quarterback but you know finding enough on defense finding enough just roster strength in general is obviously a big part of all of this and that's what a guy like mcclendon could provide no you know indication yet of what decision he's going to make but uh he does apparently visit south carolina gamecocks have a chance to kind of win a uh, transfer recruiting battle and keep in mind that's a september game for georgia and you're kind of trying to figure out okay in a relatively light september 
you know, is there any challenge coming at any point in time? Well, a South Carolina team who Georgia manhandled a year ago but did play better at the end of the season, are they good enough to even be on Georgia's radar to begin this upcoming year? Uh, probably worth considering there and watching the uh, kind of off season in Columbia to see what they're able to do as it relates to that. I also want to do my part to kind of be, I, I guess, fair and balanced, if you want to say it that way. One of the things I told you the other day, the other day is, is that I think it's been really interesting how quiet things have been in Alabama spring practice. And to me, the dog that isn't barking the most, I guess, or isn't barking the uh, the thing that the, the the quietness that has sort of stood out to me the most here is, is you're not hearing anything right now. I don't believe with Ty Simpson. Simpson was the backup quarterback, less experienced than Jalen Milrow, who got a chance to step in and play a lot last year when Bryce Young was injured. But a lot of Alabama fans were of the hope that Ty Simpson might actually overtake Milrow and become the starting quarterback. And maybe that still happens. But you certainly haven't, at least I haven't heard any example of, oh my gosh, Ty Simpson's just tearing it up here in Tuscaloosa. I haven't heard that. That that, that has not been, you know, a rumor. There's not been a lot of chatter related to that. And one of the things I told you was it has been very quiet around Alabama spring practice. Well, I at least want to give you one piece of positive buzz that we are hearing a little bit more of now. It seems like the junior college, former junior college wide receiver uh, Malik Benson, it seems like he has had a very good spring. And so when you start to think about, okay, what are the building blocks here for Alabama to kind of get back into contention to be better than they were a year ago? It seems like Benson's going to be one of those guys that maybe gets called upon to be that for Alabama. And I think it's important to point out just how much of Alabama's previous success has been propelled by wide receivers. And we can all insert our own wide receivers being injured jokes. Obviously, Alabama embarrassed itself with the way that it you know, complained about its injured wide receivers after the 2021 National Championship. But it does speak to how important wide receivers have been. And you can see this for yourself when you look at former Alabama quarterbacks who were drafted very high, who were not exactly succeeding at a high level at the NFL. I'd say Mac Jones a little bit like that. I would say the Tuatunga Vailoa is definitely like that. These are quarterbacks that are kind of leaving something to be desired, left lacking a little bit with their pro career. When you look back on their college career, oh, a lot of their success wasn't just propelled because they were great quarterbacks, but they were playing with an incredibly deep crop of wide receivers. That's what Tua had around him when it was Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and you know Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, and that's also what uh, Mac Jones had going for him in 2020, and then you know even some of what Bryce Young enjoyed in 2021 was obviously you know really strong wide receiver play last year Alabama did not get the same level of receiver play and the team just simply wasn't the same so I will be fair and balanced on this to say that in the case of Malik Benson he's generating I think now the former junior college guy generating the kind of buzz right now that would lead you to believe that maybe Alabama can be stronger at wide receiver this year than it was a, a year ago and that could make the transition a little bit easier for whoever emerges as that starting quarterback be it Jalen Milrow be it Ty Simpson so we'll acknowledge a little bit of positive buzz uh, coming out of Alabama on the former junior college wide receiver and then finally there's this we told you yesterday the Troy coach um, had spoken up about Hugh Freeze's idea for playing in a different opponent for spring games the Troy coach said yeah we'll do this well more emphatically than that Trent Dilfer who George actually plays this year at UAB one of the interesting offseason uh, uh, pieces of news was the fact that Trent Dilfer former you know elite 11 coach analyst he's done all kinds of jobs in football but most recently a high school coach well Trent Dilfer is now the coach at UAB now I think that Dilfer has a chance to be successful by the way uh but but for now he's just kind of a first year coach upstart program and when he heard Hugh Freeze mentioning the idea of UAB being a team that Auburn would play Dilfer has said yes please 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 let us play this game so 
you've got Hugh Freeze saying he wants to do it. You've got coaches in state saying, yeah, we want to do it too. And I thought the football scoop had a pretty good uh, article the other day about, well, if Auburn wants to do it, if UAB wants to do it, then what's just stopping them from doing? There's no law in place that says you can do it. So we're going to find out how much Hugh Freeze really meant this as an idea because it's sort of getting out of the hypothetical range now, uh, the hypothetical realm now, because you've got (laughs) Trent Dilfer says, yeah, please, we want to do it. We'll be there. We'll come do it right away. We need this for our program. So I still believe that eventually this is not going to happen because I don't know if the SEC wants this to happen because eventually these group of five FCS programs are going to want some financial compensation for bringing their team over there. Uh, You're going to have to (laughs) you know pay their transportation and nothing else uh and so you know spring game wise i'm not really quite so sure how much of an appetite there is to kind of spend money that you won't get back in terms of some sort of uh, form of revenue this may be one of those examples where everything being about money kind of costs you the chance to see something fun but it is interesting to know that hugh free said this kind of a big name coach in the sec and several other coaches said yeah sign us up today and so we're going to find out how serious some of these people were about what they really said because it sounds like the option is there to do this sometime in the future if that's what they really want to do and obviously i think most of us would be in favor of this you know even if it was a team like say you know i mean georgia state you know for instance if we're going to say auburn's going to play uab the version of georgia would be playing georgia state or georgia southern something like that would that be better on g day than seeing georgia play itself i think it would be i think it would be a little bit more of an interesting uh type of thing um but we'll find out how real this thing actually is now that so many folks are raising their hand to say yeah Hugh Freeze you want to play us we'll show up and play you next year so we'll find out how real this is we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean as we get ready to wrap up today special golden shoe for you so today is obviously the beginning of the Masters which I obviously believe is one of the greatest sporting events in the entire world and uh so excited about that weather not great on saturday i don't think we could have a little bit of weather issues as it relates to uh masters and you never love the sunday finish on easter sunday that kind of complicates your family life a little bit but nonetheless we love the masters and on a georgia theme show like this it also gives us a chance to kind of go back to the very weird year of 2020 there was a lot of good stuff that was not good at all in 2020 we all remember that but one of the things that was i think enjoyable for some of us when the masters had to be moved to the fall for that particular year And as a way of kicking off that uh, Master Saturday with ESPN's College Game Day actually broadcasting from Augusta National, as surreal as all that was, the Redcoat Band was tapped to help kick off the Masters there that day and one great sporting entity in Georgia celebrating another. Uh, This video from the Redcoats with the Masters as a part of our Golden Shoe here today. Take a look at this. So, yes, indeed, the lone trumpeter there welcoming uh, the world to Augusta National back in November of 2020 for the very, very strange edition of the Masters that was. That was certainly a very great video to see two things a lot of us love georgia football and the masters kind of together there that particular day so we'll give a golden shoe out to augusta national and the redco band for what they were able to do back in november of 2020 and with that we'll wrap up today's show 
Yes, indeed. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And for those of you getting ready to enjoy some Augusta National here this weekend, I uh, hope you're able to do just that. Hope the weather cooperates with you enough to be able to do that. If you're selling in to watch it on TV, uh, we'll get these rounds in. Uh, hopefully that is indeed the case. Now, for us on this show, our tradition, unlike any other, is the Gator Hater Countdown. Because we like to believe that uh, Georgia this fall, going back to Jacksonville once again, in fact, 205 days from right now to beat those lousy, stinking Gators, that is our Gator Hater Countdown. Now, can't help but notice that the number 205, also the area code there in Birmingham, Alabama. So guess what? A reminder to all those folks in Alabama that it's actually Georgia on top of the college football world, and it's Georgia taking care of its hated rival, the Florida Gators, and then everything else after that. So dogs sit on top of the college football world, and as Kirby Smart said to begin our show today, looking to make the other team quit each and every Saturday. We love those results here and can't wait to keep talking about them with you. We'll see you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Tharp.